Hello there. The first hour of our show today was preempted for Global's coverage of the Queen's funeral. So we started the show today by checking in with Ben O'Hara Byrne, who is the host of A Little More Conversation on 680 CJOB, as he has been covering the morning period in London. We also spoke with Marty Gold from the J.ca. The headline, Tributes Pour In for a Monarch, Our Babas and Zetas Loved. He was surprised to learn that his grandparents were big fans of the monarchy. And we had an important and difficult conversation with Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press, who's written a stunning piece of journalism called the Kelsey McKay Playbook. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, looks like air travel prices could soar to new heights this holiday season. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, September 19th podcast for The Start. Good morning. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb starting a little bit later as we just heard live global news coverage of the Queen's funeral. And if you'd like to continue with the coverage of that, you can watch it, of course, on Global Winnipeg or on our website, cjob.com. But let's just get right into this here. Procession carrying Queen Elizabeth's coffin is now working its way through the streets of London. Hundreds of thousands of people have gathered to bid farewell to Britain's longest reigning monarch. Our Ben O'Hara Byrne is there watching it all unfold. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. It's been a somber scene in London, but the pageantry is unmistakable. Tell us about it. Yeah, they've, I mean, we spoke to some uh, a Canadian serviceman who's in there today marching and just be presenting. And they've been rehearsing this for, for a week now. I mean, they've been doing this all, you know, uh, they've been doing a lot of work. So you can tell just how precise it is. And certainly there was some trepidation going into this because you don't want to get it wrong. Um, but it's been it's been quite the sight, as we knew it would be. I mean, these these events here are always planned down to the minute and the, the, the pomp and circumstance of it are always impressive, the precision of it. Uh, but it's been a, it's been an interest. It's been a, it was a very interesting service. It was a very personal service. And I think I don't think that would have come as a surprise given um, the kind of monarch that Elizabeth was, but um, and the, no doubt the kind of funeral that she would want to have for herself. But it was uh, it was a touching and very personal service today. And um, you're seeing, of course, in this procession, all the people on the sides of the line to watch. I was through there this morning, and there were people there overnight and, and packed into there. Uh, to pay a fi- their final respects uh, and to watch this moment of history unfold. Yeah, and it, and it is a moment of history, Ben. You know, we've been talking about the funeral estate funeral now over the procession underway, but then there'll be there'll be more to happen at Windsor in the next couple of hours near Windsor Castle. And I'm curious, you know, we've seen that outpouring of grief and uh, a sense of duty from Londoners who want to come out to pay their respects to the Queen. What's the mood on the streets today as we sort of move forward into the next couple of days? Certainly, I mean, I think one of the things that was most striking about the mood prior to today was just how much sort of congeniality there was. People were sharing stories about the Queen, talking about what brought them down there, uh, what, why the Queen mattered to their families, for instance, uh, talking about loved ones they had lost. The end, of the, the end of an era really was really a common theme when it came to talking about, you know, the Queen and what she meant. And I think today, obviously, was much more somber. It's much quieter. Uh, on the streets than it had been in recent days, certainly much quieter than it was in the queue to get in to pay respects to the Queen while she lay in state. Um, you know, we knew this would happen today. There is a, without, you know, without stating the obvious, there is a finality to today. And I think while she was lying in state and people all thought 
there was still time to pay their respects, that there was a certain mood in the city. And that mood changed a bit today. Today, today is about honoring her, but also on the day of the funeral, uh, you know, mourning her as well. And I see as, as her coffins now were going right past Buckingham Palace, her home for seven decades, um, that, you know, people will realize that, that you know, this, this has indeed happened and the Queen is now gone. And we're going to see her um, buried tonight beside her, her late husband, Prince Philip, beside her parents at the Royal Vault in Windsor. And uh, after a committal service and a private family service, and uh, that's you know that I think England will then have some, do, they'll mourn for a while now. Uh, it's been a very whirlwind week here. It's felt tumultuous because there's been so many people around and so many people descending on the center of the city. It's almost had a had sort of a, a large I wouldn't call it car- carnival is the wrong word, but it's had that long that sort of gathering sense. And I think once that's done, a lot of people will look to the future and, and realize what it is that they've lost as well, which is someone who's been part of part of the fabric of this of this country and many others for seven decades. Our guest is Ben O'Hara Byrne. He is the host of A Little More Conversation on 680 CJOB from 9 p.m. until midnight, and it airs across our Chorus Radio Network. Ben, obviously, you know, you, you, you don't have a clicker in your hand like a bouncer at a nightclub, but any idea just how many thousands of people are lining the streets of London today? I mean, it, it, it has to be. I mean, it's very restricted, right? One of the issues is that, and you can tell by, I think if you look at the pictures of where this procession is going, you can tell just how hard it is to get around this area now. So I imagine there would have been a lot more people who would have liked to have been down here. But the way it's, it's fenced off, there's only so much space available to be here. And I met, I met Canadians even who've been here for days waiting to, to be here to watch this today. Um, I, you know, 100,000 easily, probably more, uh, given the depths of the crowds. But again, and we saw from the, uh, from the Queen lying in state, I think that was up around 750,000, that the, the desire to be here seemed to have no limit. The capacity to welcome everyone was finite. So we, we saw that the limitations of that. But you know, uh, if you had the time and you had the patience, uh, there were always spots to be had to watch these events, to watch history unfold. There was something quite nice and democratic about that. Uh, but yeah, hundreds of thousands easily in central London today and, and yesterday too. Ben, you used the word striking earlier in our discussion and the prominence of the RCMP in the procession was quite impactful for me personally. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, we, we'd heard about it. We'd heard rumors of it first and then we, we spoke to the RCMP and of course they confirmed it again. Um, you know, the Queen had a special relationship with the Mounties. She'd been, she'd been sort of um, a, someone who had been intrigued by them even as a, as a girl, even when she was young. Uh, they had that, you know, she was given her favorite horse, Burmese, by the RCMP many, many, many years ago, 40 years ago now, uh, 50 years ago nearly. Um, and they maintained that bond and they gifted these horses to her over the years. And then to see them on those four horses that had been gifted to the Queen over the years, right at the front of that procession in the Red Surge, it was a huge tribute, and, and to get a sense of it here, I mean, that is a place of honor in a in a procession that will go down in history. And there was Canada right at the front, and I think that uh, there is no greater compliment to us as a nation in this context uh, than that. Ben O'Hara Byrne joining us live on 680 CJOB from London. Ben, thank you for this, and thanks for all the coverage you've provided. We appreciate it, sir. 
Oh, you're most welcome. My pleasure. Ben is the host of A Little More Conversation on 680 CJOB, which airs 9 p.m. until midnight weeknights. He, Richard Cloutier has been filling in in the meantime while Ben has been covering, and he, you may have heard him earlier uh, during the coverage, which began at 4 a.m. Ben was uh, jumping in between uh, to provide some commentary and description, but uh, indeed, Loren, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like what we're watching today. Well, it's incredible to think, too, that it was just a few months ago that it was the Queen's Jubilee. And so you're gathering as a celebration. And now you have this sort of far more somber affair taking place on the streets. But this has been timed down to the exact second. That's what's just so remarkable about it. There's the, the sheer number of people. There's the pageantry that you mentioned, Greg, but when you listen to the coverage, you know, they've given an itinerary and they've they've hit every single mark. You know exactly what's going down, when and where. And when Ben talked about the quiet on the streets, it really is. When you listen into the coverage, you can hear the footsteps, you can hear the horses, you can hear the drums when they do beat, but you don't hear much out. It's a very, very quiet street of London right now. Yeah, that slow march, uh, incredibly dramatic, very very powerful, even just as a spectacle, let alone who's involved here. Uh, You mentioned it, Brett, uh, something that we've likely never seen before, and who knows, we may never see again. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Did you watch or listen to the Queen's funeral? Yes or no? Cast your vote at cjob.com. Quick heads up, we got a couple of cool things to give away. We have tickets to give away for Ringo Starr. That is a show that is coming up at Canada Life Centre on October 4th. Ringo Starr and his all-star band. And then we have tickets to give away for Michael Bublé at Canada Life Centre on October 7th. And I just got to give you a heads up on this. And hopefully I'm not letting a cat out of the bag too early, but whatever. I'm excited about this. Next week on the news... They're going to be giving away tickets, I believe, for Michael Bublé. And they're doing a contest called Bublé or Cluche, where you have to determine who is singing, Michael Bublé or Richard Cluche. That should be very difficult. (laughs) If it's just a note, you might not know. I have no idea. If it's a full line in the song, sure. But if it's just a... uh, I don't know. uh, Maybe Cluche's uh, got a talent we are unaware of. So we're going to find out. We'll find out in the days and weeks ahead. (laughs) So that'll be fun. Um, And uh, a little bit later on, uh, at 9 o'clock, Mr. Mackling, we're talking uh, young stars. Young stars, the Winnipeg Jets. uh, Their youngest prospects are out in Penticton, British Columbia. This is a rough place to be any time of the year. Uh, But late in the summer, early Early autumn, uh, the Okanagan is a gorgeous uh, part of the country. Jamie Thomas is there, and uh, we'll get caught up with what happened over the weekend as that tournament winds up today. All right, but let's get into the housing market. It's cooling, with home sales in Winnipeg returning to pre-pandemic levels. But we know, of course, there are neighborhoods that are still booming. There's communities outside of Winnipeg that are still booming. And as we've watched prices rise and and now maybe fall over the past couple of months, we've listened to conversations around taxes, gas prices, maybe influence decisions of where to live. Crime may be influencing decisions on where to live. One of the questions we've had is where are Manitobans moving to and from, and what is the why behind that? For those answers, we're turning this morning to Peter Squire, Vice President, External Relations and Market Intelligence of the Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Loren. 
Let's start inside the city limits if we can, Peter. Where are people buying? Where are we seeing some of that growth still? Well, Waverly West, of course, is doing well in general, just and Sage Creek because of the newness of them, and uh, they've they've really come on strong the last few years. Uh, so some of those, and same in Transcona and some of that northwest area out in Garden City, and some of the new development that way. We don't reflect all of that in our MLS because we're more resale, but certainly you have to give uh, you know mention of of those areas. But in terms of our MLS this year, you know we really were in kind of some unicorn months the last you know the pandemic has indicated kind of like a royal flush uh, that we, we we probably won't repeat for some time now. So we are coming off some very big highs in 2021. But if you're looking at continuation of some strong performance. Really, we're looking in in the southwest area, which is our highest price area, you know, homes over half a million on average. Uh, We're seeing areas like uh, Crescentwood, South River Heights, Charleswood, Richmond West, Lindenwoods, Waverly Heights. They still seem to be performing at a high level and and converting a lot of their their listings to sales. St. Vital, a a number of areas through St. Vital, River Park South, Windsor Park and Southdale. The area, the northeast area has cooled off, I think, more because it's more in the first-time buyer area where they're being more impacted by those higher interest rates and affordability issues to finance a home and get their down payment. So that's slowed down a bit, but we're still seeing East Kildona, North Kildona, and that area that's doing really well, it's kind of between Transcona and East Kildona or Elmwood, is that area just off Lajamodi and north of Regent on the east side, you know, the Kildonan Meadows and Devonshire, that area is doing really well. It's actually doing well on condos too. And then then going out northwest, Garden City, Tyndall Park, Mandalay West, and finally in the west, Westwood and Crestview. I'd say all those areas that I've just rattled off are doing well in 2022 for the first eight months. Rural, uh, not as much. The, the flight to rural really happened in earnest in 2020 as part of that pandemic uh, thrust. Uh, but still this year, East St. Paul is performing well. Uh, Gimli is still seeing a fairly high conversion in Steinbeck. And then that Carmen area, I'm not sure what, you know, in Treehern. But some of the areas like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Neverville and that, they cooled off a bit from, again, the, the boom in 2020 and 2021. Peter, it's Greg Mackling here, and I'm a one of my hobbies is real estate and keeping keeping tabs on what's going on in the market. And I I like to take drives and and the one area you mentioned Niverville, but Ill Deschain, Niverville, Mitchell, Kleefeld, all these little areas between Winnipeg and Steinbach, and then you go into Steinbach and you see all this multifamily development, rentals, some of it, some of it condos, but also homes being built. Uh, that just is mind-blowing to see how those markets, those communities have gone from sleepy little towns to bedroom communities either for Winnipeg or for Steinbeck. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Greg, because I've really spent a lot of time talking about Steinbeck the last few years, and that's for good reason. When we look at our distinct MLS areas, Steinbeck and those surrounding areas like, you know, uh, uh, Marshand and, uh, you know, uh, there's a few other ones in there uh, around Steinbach, but mainly the city Steinbach. 
That's been our leading MLS area by far. It went over a thousand MLS sales last year. For the we never seen an area do that well. The second area was the Morton Winkler area, which we expanded into a few years ago in terms of our regional MLS. And then Waverly West came in third, you know, which has come on strong in, in Winnipeg. So it just shows you how strong that rural area has picked up. And, and, and of course, everyone reads and hears about Neverville, what, what's happened there, and even some of the development around St. Adolphin, like you mentioned, Ilda Shane. So the rural area actually makes up one third of our single family home sales uh, on an annual basis. So that's, you know, where condos are still primarily within Winnipeg, though we're starting to see more condo development happen outside the city now. And is it going to be become easier for, say, a young, uh, young home buyers or young families to, to get into the market now that we're seeing things cool off a little bit? Well, we have seen some price adjustments uh, in the last, especially the last few months, where we peaked, uh, our overall average single-family home price went from about 380000 at the end of 2021 over four hundred and fifty. So I've never seen it spike uh, on that rapid a pace because of the shortage of listings we had at the beginning of the year. Now that we've got you know more supply, we've doubled our active listings to over around 4,000 when we were under 2,000 at the beginning of the year. So our prices have come back down. You know, in the month of uh, August, they were around you know 390,000. So they've almost come back to where they were at the beginning of the year. So they've def- that'll definitely help. Uh, all buyers, especially those first-time buyers, to help them get into the market because of the higher financing costs, to, even at that lower price, you know, in terms of the single family. Condos are more affordable. They've always been more affordable than single family. They've, they've actually firmed up, but they're still, you know, in around the two fifty to two sixty thousand as an average price range. Peter, before we let you go, we're talking about the where some people are moving and you mentioned that there was a bit of movement outside the city at the start of the pandemic. When it comes to that outside of the city growth, are those people who are moving outside of, like from Winnipeg to a rural area, or are they largely people who are already living rurally? I'm just curious as to the why yeah. behind the growth in some you of know, those towns. That's a good question, Loren. I think it's a bit of both. Like one thing I've also talked about in the last few years is that Lake Country area, you know, the, the Gimli, both east side of Lake Winnipeg and west side, and even up between Lake Manitoba and, and uh, Lake Winnipeg, that whole area out further up, you know, to, you know, places like Toulon and further, you know, uh, further up northwest. So, so we, and even the Lactabani area. So the Lake Country performed very well the last few years, slowed down a bit this year. But I think it's a bit of both. Some people are looking for an escape, uh, as we heard about during the pandemic. But some are actually looking at, you know, those retirees, that aging baby boomer group, are looking at at being close to the city, to to a lot of the amenities that a city, a major city offers, but but having that rural living. So I think it's a combination. But the Lake Country in particular did really well beyond what we heard about in terms of the Steinbeck and that some of that south area of Winnipeg, the lake country also performed very well in terms of that rural, you know, movement. Peter Squire joining us live on 680 CJOB, Vice President of External Relations and Market Intelligence for the Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board. Thank you very much, Peter. Much appreciated. I appreciate it being on your program this morning. Thanks. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. 
Show started at 7 today. Global news coverage of the Queen's funeral was on, and it continues. You can watch it at cjob.com or on Global Winnipeg, of course. And a heads-up reminder that at 10 this morning, there will be a 21-gun salute taking place on the south grounds at the Legislative Building. A royal gun salute of 96 rounds will follow to honour each year of the Queen's life. Greg, that... That sounds like it'd be quite uh, the sight and the sound. The sound will resonate throughout the downtown and maybe even further, Brett. I don't know if you'll be home by then. I, I suspect that you won't be, but uh, if you're walking home at that time, that might be uh, quite the thing to capture uh, some audio of on your way home because, uh, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of uh, saluting. 96 shots. And it's good that you give that warning, too, because when, you, when you're when you not near it to see what's going on, hearing that can cause alarm if you're not in the know, right? So that's also, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a show of respect that they're giving, but at the same time, it's good that you said that because I forgot about that, and not that I'd hear it from where I am. But others will hear it and wonder if something else is happening. So that's good. That's good that you gave that heads up, Brett. And at seven o'clock, ninety-six bell tolls will precede an invite-only memorial service at St. John's Anglic. Pardon me, St. John's Anglican Cathedral, and uh, that's at one thirty-five Anderson Avenue. And that event will also be streamed on the province's website. So just giving you a heads up on that. Oh, and by the way, producer Sky, who won the tickets to see Ringo Starr and his all-star band at Canada Life Centre on October fourth? Rather appropriately, Mr. Paul, not a sir, but Paul. <laughs> no, can we can we dub Paul a sir, Mackling? What do you think? It's not good to do that. Uh, you could do it, but I'm not going to do it. I don't want to get in trouble by anybody. Why? Why not? Is it, why is it bad to do that? Well, you don't have the authority to do it. <laughs> okay, that's I all. Don't, I don't. I don't have the uh, the saber. Can, that's right. You can you can try and claim the authority, but I'm not giving you the authority <laughs> okay. to do it. Okay. Um, and we still have tickets to give away as well for Michael Bublé Canada Life Center October seventh. We'll do those in our next hour. In the meantime. In an emergency, every second matters. And when you call 911, you hope, of course, that an ambulance arrives within minutes. Well, uh, unfortunately, that isn't always the case, uh, Brett, with the pressure on Canada's healthcare system stretching beyond hospitals. As Global's Heather Urex West explains, advocates say the remedy for that is a complete revamp. September 10th, Calgary a youth hockey tryout, and a player takes a difficult hit. As a dad watching, uh, you're hoping that he can get up. Uh, He didn't get up right away. He wasn't moving. August 6th, New Westminster, B.C. An 81-year-old former city councillor suffers a stroke. 911 is called right away. Luckily, there were some friends with her, and uh, one was a doctor. But when Sava Brar and Lori Williams needed the help of an ambulance, it wasn't there. Seva, just 14, waited on the ice for more than an hour before the fire department responded instead. And while an ambulance eventually came for Williams, it was two hours before she reached a hospital just a few blocks away. She's been left partially paralyzed by her stroke. Well, obviously we need to change something, right? Like, this is not just in Calgary, this is Canada-wide. Paramedics across the country agree. Ambulances are struggling to get to calls as fast as they should in every province and territory. Bystanders are waiting an extraordinary long time for paramedics to get to scene because we're tied up in hospitals. 
Uh, we're seeing this with people who have fallen, hip fractures. Uh, we're seeing the elderly suffer. It's a symptom of a health system in crisis across the board. After more than two years of COVID, health workers are burnt out. Staffing levels are falling just as demand for care is on the rise. The numbers are coming up in all areas. I think um, people in mental health crisis, um, certainly some of the addiction crisis are standing out, but it's uh, in general, it's all types of calls are coming up. Advocates say Canada's health system is in need of an emergency overhaul, a restructuring to meet the needs of an aging population, dealing with an escalating crisis of addictions and mental health. Remember the system was built in the 60s. Um, the 60s and today's as two different kind of worlds. It is important that we consider an increase in funding, but funding is not just the only solution. But solutions are needed now, with a potentially tough flu season poised to add more pressure to a system unable to cope. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. We've said this before. I've said this before. You know, misery I don't does not love company. I know it's the same, but it does not make me feel better to know that this is the situation countrywide, whether it comes to shortages in hospitals or shortages of ambulances. And it was just a few months ago that we heard in Winnipeg that, you know, life or response times were creeping up to life-threatening emergencies and that, that the response times for ambulances were growing for a whole host of reasons. And, and that staff, again, is part of that too, Greg. It's just the pressure's are everywhere but man you don't want to be thinking i i don't feel any better knowing that calgary bc ontario are feeling it too no the, as you said misery often does love company in this case uh, i would could do without anybody having any misery here uh, I, I wonder how many other jurisdictions have that situation that we have in winnipeg where you have paramedics on on the fire truck i know a lot of people wonder why do we have these fire trucks going out uh to people's homes when they call 911 for medical distress well because not always an ambulance can come first often firefighters and those uh uh working on a fire truck can get there quicker and so those paramedics those firefighters with paramedic training come and they wait until the ambulance shows up and, and it buys you a ton of time. I'm just curious as to how many other jurisdictions have that same program, Brett. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Reminder that if you want to continue to tune in to the coverage of the Queen's uh, funeral Global National has it on Global Winnipeg as well as CJOB.com. And a reminder that there will be a 21-gun salute on the south grounds of the Legislative Building at 10 a.m., followed by a royal gun salute of 96 rounds to honour each year of the Queen's life. Got tickets to give away for Michael Bublé. We'll do that at 9.15. But the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has had an impact on people all around the planet, Loren. Yeah, and the coverage continues on globalnews.ca if people are still watching to see how things are unfolding in London because, of course, now we have we had the state funeral. Now there's the funeral in Windsor. And it was expected in numbers that were shared last week that close to half the planet, some 48%, I think, was the last estimates, would take part in some way of watching or listening to the funeral from England. And, of course, the Queen's passing is having an impact because of her life and, and the fascination of her life to millions. Last week... Our guest that we will bring on in a moment published a story on his website, thej.ca, with the headline, Tributes Pour In for Our Monarch, Our Babas and Zetas Loved. The author, Marty Gold, among his other credentials, is publisher of thej.ca. Good morning, Marty. 
wow, I got a promotion. I'm actually the editor in chief. Ron East is our publisher, but he won't mind the uh, the slight uh, the slight correction that's necessary. Marty, he was, uh, all, I, he was I, all in favor of me running the story. So, <laughs> well, I suspect I think I may have done that the last time we spoke with you. So please forgive me on that. Maybe one day he'll take the hand. Who knows? Very good. So the story you shared on on the website began with a ritual many of us have experienced going through our parents, or in in the case. Uh, uh, of your grandparents' belongings. Take us back a year or so, if you would. Um, my family revolved around my paternal grandparents, my dad's mom and dad. And in 1956, they moved into a house about like literally eight doors from the uh, Jewish school and synagogue on Matheson. Uh, and uh, my dad's uh, remaining uh, brother, uh, his youngest brother, became... Um, uh, it became difficult for him to manage his own affairs and to manage the household. And so in a kind of a bit of a, a bit of a big emergency, uh, we all had to dive in and deconstruct the possessions of that home. It was a uh, sprawling, like three bedroom, three bedroom bungalow, full basement, 1,850 square feet. And it was apparent that pretty much nothing had been thrown out since 1956 when they moved in. And uh, this was, uh, is daunting. It was emotionally difficult, and uh, you know, every every once in a while, you're pulling out some artifacts that you recognize from the 40s or 50s, or uh, you know, all sorts of stuff in whatever room, whether it's the kitchen or the the bathroom cabinet, and you know, uh, in the in the course of that, under the basement stairs, uh, there's like a, a a walkway between the tool room on the right side, as it were, and the the spare kitchen on the left, and underneath the stairs were all sorts of things, including something we didn't expect to find, a box of old newspapers. My, my, I certainly come from a family that encouraged literacy, but my grandmother was from the old country, and it, it was uh, my grandfather, would, whatever it was he collected, it didn't seem newspapers would be the thing, and there it was. And in going through these with my son, it became apparent that there was a theme to these old newspapers, a couple of uh, sections from the Tribune, uh, about the state of Israel in the late 60s, but every other newspaper they saved had something to do with Her Majesty the Queen. Were you surprised by that, Marty? Because, you know, you might have had conversations with your grandparents, but were they talking about the Queen a lot, or, or were you kind of caught off guard by the fact they, that these mementos were so connected to the monarchy? The only time I would have remembered them, any of us talking about the Queen, was probably the centennial visit, to, for the visit from Manitoba, Manitoba Centennial, rather, in 1970, uh, that was a big deal. I was in grade five, I guess, at the time. And so Manitoba Centennial was a big deal. But otherwise, no, I, I asked my brother, who's uh, uh, older enough to me than me to remember things. He was floored. My grandparents were, uh, you know, they, they weren't sticks in the mud, but they were devout religious uh, Orthodox Jews. He was floored that they had collected and, and not just collected those papers, but kept them because those had not been touched. So my son dug that box out. They hadn't been touched in over 50 years. There was nothing there uh, after 1970. Now, Marty, you documented and shared some beautiful pictures of some of the items that you came across. Is there anything you're going to keep for yourself? Well, right now, all of it, although I suppose eventually it's going to end up in the hands of my grandchildren. But, uh, uh, I'm keeping all of it. You know, I didn't really realize what I had until I, I guess, uh, for the um, the 70th anniversary, and I I took a picture of one of the newspaper sections, 
uh, front page of the Free Press, uh, the uh, Tribune, rather. We were, we were a uh, Tribune family, not a Free Press family. And Peter Young, uh, the, the sportscaster, Peter clued me in that, hey, you, you've got something there. That's got a lot of value if you get it framed. And I was, I was like, really surprised because, honestly, I, I mean, I have old newspapers myself that I've inherited from people over the years, but I've never really looked at them as having, you know, a, a meaning of that, like, to that depth, to that extent. And then upon the Queen's passing, I went right back to, to where this uh, stack of newspapers are in my office. And I went through them and I, I just saw how magnificent they are, and whether it's the, the Globe and Mail and the Star Weekly. You know, for my, as, I pointed out, uh, as I pointed out to a few people, for my grandparents to go out of their way to go to a store to get the Globe and Mail and the Star Weekly on uh, the occasion of the Queen's coronation or on the occasion of Canada's centennial, that shows that they were seriously that they were seriously collecting this. And, and I, I, our presumption is that uh, both sides of my family came from the same place pretty much in, in, uh, in uh, what would be Russia, uh, would have been Russia. And they valued the fact that the crown provided my family the opportunity to sink roots here, to, uh, to be able to raise families, to be able to worship, practice their religion quite freely in the manner that they chose. And, and never felt as outsiders in Canada, uh, you know, certainly not in my lifetime. My, my family was, was very comfortable here. Uh, we weren't rich, but we were comfortable. We felt safe. We could, felt we could walk to and from school, uh, to and from synagogue. There was certainly the, you know, the oddball incident every, you know, three or five years from some lunatic wandering down the street, you know, yelling stupid things. But generally speaking, we didn't have any exor- extraordinary fear didn't feel the government was going to turn on us and expel us or anything like that. So especially for my grandmother who came to Canada around 1931, she was around 20 years old and came here speaking no English, uh, not being literate in the English language ever in her lifetime that I'm familiar with. I don't remember her ever like writing anything in English as compared to Yiddish or, or, or something. Uh, I think that my family, my ancestors, as it were, exhibited that gratitude to the, to the queen they were obviously captivated by her and by the royal family uh, and instilled in us, along with my parents, a loyalty to Canada that continues to this day. It's, uh, I'm well known as one of the, one of the, one of the city's uh, leading fans of Canada Day, uh, traditionally holding uh, events, taking part in events, producing events for Canada Day in Osborne Village and elsewhere. And so I think that this is just a, you know, an extension of, uh, of, of a value that my family uh, commonly holds, uh, and and uh, I'll I'm not getting rid of these newspapers anytime soon. I can tell you that. Marty Gold is the editor in chief of the J.ca. You can go online to that website and see pictures of some of these treasures that Marty's been speaking with us about. Marty, have you heard from from other Jewish families, other members of the Jewish community in Winnipeg that say, "Yeah, my Baba, my Zeta were into this," or my parents, or I am? Is are you learning you know, that that might not be as infrequent as you might have imagined? Well, I I haven't heard from anybody else who's uh, stumbled into a a collection like this, but I certainly heard expressions of surprise and gratitude from Jewish people, not just in Winnipeg, but from all over Canada, from Toronto in particular, and reaction from uh, Winnipeggers uh, who who over the years emigrated to Israel and other places uh, on the planet. And so it's touched a chord with people. Uh, and it's it's not just the subject matter, you know, the newspapers themselves, the photography, 
the juxtaposition of the star, the cover photo, for instance, of the, the juxtaposition of the Long Live the Queen headline from her coronation with the Star Weekly coronation supplement. Like, the visuals are just stunning. The photography, the the quotes that I pulled from the stories, it's a different style of writing that's, you know, long in the past and certainly some attitudes that, that have changed over the years towards the monarchy and towards confederation. Uh, but it's received a universally uh, positive response, especially from people of my generation that were uh, that remember the Tribune front page of the royal family posing at Buckingham Palace prior to their visit to uh, Manitoba in July of 1970 to celebrate our province's centennial. So it struck a chord with people, and I'm glad it did. It meant a lot to me to sit down, write that story, and get the kind of uh, the kind of eyeballs on it, the kind of appreciation for it that we've that we've heard in the J.C. We're very grateful for. For that, the story. If people are going to scroll, go to the website and scroll for it. It's actually the lead story this week. Tributes pour in for a monarch. Are Baba's and Zeta's loved? And I, I struggled with the headline for about ten minutes so I could figure out what would get the message across. And I think that did. Well, I appreciate you tagging me in the post when you tweeted it out. That brought it to my attention, and I, I felt, as you obviously did, it would have some broad appeal in the community, and I think it's done just that. Marty, thank you for this, and enjoy uh, your misappropriated uh, <laughs> advance in, in pay and, and power over at the J.ca. Greg, thank you. It's always a pleasure being able to join you in the morning. You're the only guy around that'll get me up to do an interview before 9 in the morning, but you did it again, my friend. <laughs> Marty Gold, Editor-in-Chief at The J. Ask him earlier next time. Let's get him on at 6.30. <laughs> well, hang on a second. Marty, <laughs> Marty, you still there? Yeah, I still am. I heard that. <laughs> you know, uh, everybody, everybody's a comedian until it's time to be funny. But you know what, Lauren? I'll take up the challenge. Go ahead. Okay. See how early you can put me on, and I will make this, I will make it, and I'll do the interview. I promise. <laughs> uh, Marty Gold, Editor-in-Chief of the J.ca. Mackling McGarry McNabb, in case you're just tuning in and missed it two minutes ago, crash on Highway 75 south at Highway 305 involving a semi and a pickup truck. Emergency crews are on scene and uh, because it's uh, quite foggy out there. So watch out for that. Um, we don't probably don't. Yeah, we, we, just looking at our group chat here and Lorenz saying we don't have time to run the story, but we can have a quick chat about it because there's a headline at globalnews.ca. Air travel prices could soar to new heights this holiday. Holiday season and uh, Loren, uh, <laughs> I would, Greg was sitting in the room when uh, I saw that story, and I thought uh, my reaction was simply, "Oh, goody! Uh, it, it just keeps getting better." What what isn't soaring to new heights? It feels like you know. I, I sent you a most boring picture the other day of a chicken in the grocery store because I just wanted you guys to know that I was feeling the pain of the cost of chicken. But if you're planning to go have that chicken or turkey for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. They're talking about flights, particularly in the States, are up 22% compared with 2019, according to some numbers in the U.S. And I was just curious if anyone's actually just gone to book a flight for November or December for that holiday period this year, because I would think it's safe to say the past two years for sure. Well, we most of us just stay, stayed home around that time. You couldn't go anywhere that, because of different cycles of the pandemic or you had to change your plans for the first year, and then the second year you were wondering if you should, and now it's all systems go, and now no one can afford it, it seems like, Greg. But I'm just going to hop on now and check flights because I am genuinely curious where we're seeing those hikes. Well, I'm traveling in November, and I found the prices when we booked back in June or July quite high. 
uh, for that time of the year. And, well, you know, here we are as we look at increasing interest rates and, of course, uh, the concern over the economy being overheated. Is this the sort of thing that's going to slow demand down? Because for the most part, for the last couple of years, and, and in particular the last six, seven, eight months but since we've been able to travel more, I think people have just been paying whatever it costs. Doesn't matter what the cost is. I want to go, and I'm going to go, no, no matter what it ends up costing me in the end. That's a great point. You know, if you've got family you want to see, or you just have that vacation you're dying to take. You know, I I'm cool if I don't take a vacation for a few years. But there are some people like uh, we. I'm not. What's that? <laughs> I'm the opposite. It's, it's not that I need to get out of like the, the province, but I like to go places, and I do. I love to fly. Yeah. And it, when it's prohibitive, it's hard. Yeah. Like there's some people who just have that bug, that travel bug. I got It's been three months since I've been in a plane. I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. So I'm sure it's been difficult for the last couple of years. But feel free to let us know two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, and you can read more on that at cjob.com and globalnews.ca. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Did you watch or listen to the Queen's funeral? Yes or no? And so far at cjob.com, we've got 60% who say no, 40% who say yes. Cast your vote cjob.com or on Instagram at 680cjob. And just before we say hello to our guest, did you see this text message from Aaron? Aaron's calling that it's going to rain. Aaron says, yeah. there's condensate. You, you, do you have the text in front of you, Loren? Yeah. I, I, well, I saw your question and I thought, yeah, Aaron's saying condensation buildup on the inside of the car. I give it about six hours and we should see a good amount of rain. And then you said you can gauge how much it's going to rain and when based on condensation in the car. I'm guessing his answer is going to be yes. Hmm. Some sort of dew meter or something like that? I don't Change know. Come on, Aaron, give us the goods. What's the I science? love people that have that science brain, but also the barometer. Like, I know people who are just very good at looking up and being like, you got like about 20, then it's going to rain. I love that. Yeah, there's some people can feel it in their knee. Yeah. You know, the, 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 oh, my knee is a little sore today. Something's going to happen. Pressure in the head. Oh, that yeah. That was a big deal in particular in Calgary when I lived there following my car accident oh boy could i ever feel the barometric pressure changing Mm. in calgary when those chinooks would come in or when a storm was coming in oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. okay well aaron let us know the science behind that and in the meantime we've got michael buble tickets to give away in our next segment wait for your cue to call up and coming nhl players are in penticton bc for the young stars classic the development tournament allows organizations to get a closer look at their future stars the vancouver Canucks, Calgary Flames, Edmonton Oilers, and Winnipeg Jets have gathered in the Okanagan for the first time since 2018. The Jets have dropped their first two games with Game 3 going this afternoon. The Jets and Calgary Flames will face off in the third and final game for both teams this afternoon, as I said. Joining us now is Jamie Thomas, an analyst alongside Paul Emmons on the radio home of the Winnipeg Jets. Penticton, hey Jamie? Uh, uh, how slowly did your hand go up for this assignment? <laughs> like I was before it even came out, I was asking. So, <laughs> so they like when I kind of there was rumblings about this. I I came to Penticton all the time when I was a kid, guys, because I grew up in uh, Cochrane, Alberta. So this is uh, this is uh, a resort town to me. So I, I, every time this tournament pops up, I, I beg to come. 
and I paper scissors rock Edmonds for it, and I won. So there you go. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, congratulations on that. So before we get Thank into you. what's happened in the first two games for the, Jet, the, the Jets, just tell us about this event overall, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Jets have been more or less participants in this tournament since uh, their return to the NHL. Yeah, you know, they, they it was right from the start, but the, of course, COVID played a role in it. Then um, 2018, the first time I came here, it was just the Vancouver Canucks, so they played two games against the Canucks Young Stars. And then the next, in 2019, we went to Belleville, Ontario, and the Jets played um, Montreal and Ottawa's prospects. So this is kind of, since I've been in Winnipeg, the first time the full meal deal, all four Western Canadian teams have been taking part. But it's 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 a great event. You see all the... You know, I saw the Sedins yesterday. Uh, you see all the Canucks management. It just, it's just, you know, it's Ken Holland from the Edmonton Oilers. It's just great to see everybody around. The scouts are all here, too. So it's just, it's such a great event. Uh, it was sold out. So clearly the people of Penticton and the province of BC were excited about it coming back uh, full guns of blazing with all four teams here. So, and it's just, it's a great chance for the scouts the management staff to see the players that they have drafted and keep in mind with COVID a lot of these guys they haven't seen a lot of these players because uh there was the two COVID drafts this was the first you know 2022 was the first full NHL draft in Montreal everything's back to normal so it's just a great opportunity for guys to put faces to names uh the players they've been watching on the ice and on video for the longest time but uh the chance for you know Mark Hillier the director of amateur scouting to you know introduce himself and all the stuff like that. So just such a great event and it's just fun to watch and pretty intense hockey so far in the first two games. Well, let's talk about the hockey, Jamie, any of the players jump out? Cause we've had a couple of games. Who's, who's jumping off the page, so to speak for the jets prospects. Well, Brad Lambert, um, the, the kid they drafted 30th overall, their second first round pick. He played in Finland last year or has played his entire career. Actually in Finland is a uh, property of the Seattle Thunderbirds, the Western hockey league this year. Just you saw the Jets thought when they drafted him or said when they drafted him, he was the best skater in the draft. And I've seen that so far, right? It's just, he's unbelievable speed. He's got a great shot, very good with the puck on his stick. Um, of course, you guys know Cole Perfetti. Um, the Jets wanted him here because he got hurt last year. Didn't get a lot of chances to, hasn't played a lot of hockey since then, had an upper body injury and will be counted on heavily uh, when camp starts to likely fill out a top six role. So he's looked as dominant as you expect a kid that's, was drafted for in the first round of, of 2020. Um, Henry Nikanen is a big-bodied kid that the Jets played for the Moose a little bit last year. He's six four, two oh three, so big centerman uh, from Finland again. Um, and then Arvid Holm, um, you know, he is that uh, was a, one of the Moose goaltenders last year. Six, he's a big guy, six five, uh, moves well. He's looked great too. And then Oscari Salmanen, a guy they grabbed from the Finnish Elite League. He played last night. Um, and another big goaltender at 6'4", 203 pounds. Like, he it moves very well, obviously takes up a big amount of net, and uh, brutally honest last night. He said he made a couple of European mistakes because it's his first game in North America, so the ice, you know, is, uh, the width of the ice is thinner than it is in Europe, bigger rink over there, so he was great. And, um, so, so far, those are the four guys that kind of stood out to me here. So, Jamie, the main Jets training camp gets underway Thursday. How many of these players will be there? Well, they'll, 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 a lot of big chunk of them will be, um, but literally, you know, to be honest, it's through only Cole, Cole Perfetti is literally the only guy that's going to, you know, have have a chance of making the Jets. So it's, we'll get a good look at everybody when main camp starts on Thursday. 
a lot, you know, the 11 players here that played for the Moose last season. So a lot of these guys you'll see with the Manitoba Moose. It's just, you know, you're wondering where Brad Lambert's going to go. Chaz Lucius, another kid they drafted in the first round. So is he going to play for the Moose or is he going to go play in the Western Hockey League with the Portland Winterhawks? Those questions are going to remain to be seen at this point, but a fair amount of these guys will likely be with the Manitoba Moose. Um, but we'll get a good look at them when camp starts on Thursday. Yeah, and Sunday already, the first uh, preseason oh. game of the year. The Jets traveling to Edmonton, and then, of course, uh, before that Saturday, a real opportunity for Jets fans to gather again as FanFest uh, gets underway for the first time in, in really in three years, Jamie. Yeah, Fan Fest is a lot of fun. It's just, you know, they, they, it's, you know there's autographs. Uh, you get to watch the Jets practice. I believe they're having a scrimmage that day, if my memory serves me correctly. And then, you know, the, there's panels on the stage inside the Iceplex. Uh, I believe Sarah Lesky and I will be conducting some of those interviews as well. So a lot of fun. And it's just, it, it, the, the two times that I've done um, Fan Fest, it's just it's such a great time because it's, it's so unique and rare for fans to get that close to the, to the Jets. Um, so it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Jamie Thomas, color commentator alongside Paul Edmonds on the radio home of the Winnipeg Jets, 680 CJOB. Jamie, thank you for this. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets from Michael Bublé to give away in three minutes' time. Wait for your cue to call. But you know what? Survivor remains one of the most popular shows in Canada, and I think one of the reasons why it's so popular is because of the tropical setting, you know, particularly in the colder months when we're, you know, we're, we're, we're cooped up inside. We turn on Survivor, and it's hot through there. And, and if we, you know, we were talking earlier about travel prices and how they could soar to new heights this holiday season, and maybe there'll be a lot more Canadian just sitting on their couch watching TV instead of actually at one of those hot destinations, Mackling. Yeah, Herb, test, uh, that's his testimony right now. He calls it revenge travel. Lockdown for two years has caused this issue. We canceled our winter trip to Mexico in 2021 and took the voucher. We found something comparable to the price for two weeks in Mazatlan this Christmas. However, listen to this, Loren. Checking weekly, we've seen pricier vacations. Seems they are trying to recoup previous year's vacancies. I'm trying right now. I mean, I quite often will just dream travel. Like, I'll check out flights to various locations out of curiosity. I have a friend living in South Africa right now, and I was like, oh, I wonder what it would cost to get me there. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm always looking. And so when I, when I look now at within Canada flights, they don't right now seem to me to be much more than they would be normally. So, for example, I remember flying to Vancouver pre-pandemic 2019. I think it was almost 400 bucks per person. I could get there for that same time frame for 200 uh, now for the exact same dates we traveled in 2019. Christmas, it goes up to more like a $500 round trip, Winnipeg to Vancouver and back. But that that is not unusual. That seems quite normal to me. But if I'm looking for those warm destination vacations... Uh, yeah, it is pricey right now. I'm, uh, for example, using Expedia to see if I could get to Mexico on a, say, four-star hotel, and it is twice as much as anything I've ever paid before. So if not three times as much, depending on the hotel. What? So that revenge vacation won't, I don't know how, how revenge you, how much revenge <laughs> you need for that price is what I'm trying to say. What uh, what kind of price? Uh, do, you, do you remember one of the oh, numbers? Oh, sorry. 
So I'm looking right now, I'd say to Puerto Vallarta. And as you know, it all depends on the kind of hotel you go to, right? Yeah. So the package I'm looking at right now ranges from $2,500 to $3,500 per person for the Christmas week. Say if you're going to December 23rd to December 30th. Um, <laughs> if you're going to go a little bit after that, it, it comes becomes more of the same. But that's why traveling at Christmas always seems a bit nuts to me anyway, unless you really have that family you're trying to get to because – Sometimes it does double, but that that is way beyond anything I've seen before. Brett, you need to ask about an in a particular hotel in Mazatlan. Ah, El Cid Castilla. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. I'll let you know what we've got here. All right, call number five two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Michael Bublé tickets up for grabs. Canada Life Center, October seventh. Call us now for your chance to win. Last week, we told you that a former high school football coach is facing even more sex crime-related charges after an additional victim came forward. That, according to Winnipeg Police. Yeah, Kelsey McKay, who coached at Churchill High School and Vincent Massey Collegiate Winnipeg for close to two decades, has been charged with additional counts of sexual assault and luring a child under 18. McKay was already facing close to two dozen charges of sexual assault, sexual exploitation, and luring. The previous offenses are all alleged to have taken place during the 2000s when he was actively coaching high school athletes. Police said Monday that the new charges are from the same time frame, Loren. So none of the allegations have been proven in court. A total of nine victims have come forward since April. And Constable Danny McKinnon of Winnipeg Police was asked if it's possible that more victims would come forward or reach out to police. I don't know. I I certainly hope that's not the case, but... It wouldn't be surprising, given given the information and the uh, magnitude of what we've previously discussed. So in these conversations, there have, of course, been questions about the red flags. And police talked about some of the red flags that, that they wanted parents to listen to and understand. It might be that constant one-on-one communication with an athlete, a coach inviting an athlete to their home, sharing a room alone or overnight with an athlete, or being alone in a vehicle with an athlete. And police have said, and and, and other experts have weighed in about the idea that these behaviors really can be part of a grooming process, Greg, that parents and teens need to be aware of. Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press has been speaking to many people who have known Kelsey McKay over the years. Jeff's article from this past Saturday is worthy of your attention and time Jeff Hamilton joins us now. Good morning, friend. Morning, guys. How are we doing? We're doing okay. This is uh, an incredible piece of journalism you've uh, produced, and and thank you for doing it. Uh, I've been speaking to my kids about this, and for many of us following this story, uh, for me, it, it boils down to this. Lots of emotions, but it comes right down to, in my mind, in the shadows of all we were supposed to have learned through the actions of Graham James, how did this happen again yeah i think that's uh you know one of one of several questions and you know we'll get into that for sure i want to thank you guys for first having me on i think it's important to have these conversations to discuss you know some of the red flags as you mentioned and you know just really have this in 
uh, you know, make it a conversation because a lot of the times, you know, people, you know, things happen, they come, charges are laid and, and then, you know, time passes and we just kind of go back to, you know, status quo. And, um, you know, a lot of those times I think the reality is, is we, we, we get angry, right? We get angry, we get upset with what we hear, with what we read, with, uh, you know, with the different findings, the different charges that come across. And then, you know, again, it just kind of subsides. So, you know, you ask the question, how does this happen again? I mean, you can certainly you can certainly point to Sheldon Kennedy in the mid '90s and how he came forward against Graham James, and you know it really did have a you know a profound effect. I mean, it it wasn't just it wasn't just people in the hockey world; it was people in the sports world, it was people outside the sports world. I mean, we we changed things from a federal level. We we implemented what we thought would be you know safe safe conditions to sport. We 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 started to talk about holding you know, sporting sport bodies accountable about, uh, you know, making them, forcing them to educate themselves and educate, you know, people around them, the stakeholders, the players, the parents, the, the coaches, everybody in, in this, in this grand effort uh, to prevent anything like this from happening again. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, it just, it kind of happens. It goes through, you know, it's, it's, it's usual cycles of anger and education. And then, you know, just kind of, you know, people just forget about it or, or don't want to make it a priority. And I understand not wanting to have this be the forefront of sport, right? I mean, a lot of people, uh, when you think about sport, you think about, you know, leadership, you think about, you know, relationships that you, you have with your teammates and, and, you know, people around you and, and all the good times, right? The championships, the growing from adversity and, and all, all those things are important. But the reality is, is, you know, Sports is a is a bit of a breeding ground for people to take advantage of those relationships, those really important relationships. So when you when you ask the question, you know, how does this happen again? It, it really, it really is a it, it's really hard to answer because you you wonder why it is, and then and then you get situations like this where it's it's almost impossible to understand, right? And and for those people out there who you know read read the article or have, you know listened to the interviews and the many other people who have written about this. And ask the question, you know, or, or ask themselves, I don't understand how this could happen. The reality is you shouldn't. You shouldn't understand how this could happen because it's hard to explain. But that's the importance in, in you know, having conversations like this, talking about the education behind, you know, the grooming process, how people take advantage of what should be these sacred situations, relationships, uh, and use them for, for their own personal gain. Can we talk then, Jeff, about some of the red flags and what you've heard uh, from the people you've spoken to, some have been on the record, some have been not, some have, some have, some have not wanted their name used, some have, but there's all sorts of people who are looking back now trying to think about this era, what they missed, or did they miss it, or did they choose not to see something? So what, what should we be looking at with our eyes wide open here? You know, it's an interesting question, right? I mean, it's it's to you know to give a list of things that you should be you know taking a look at, or, or or what could be seen as red flags. Of course, there's the obvious ones, right? There's the ones where close relationships with coaches, and again, there's a lot of close relationships with coaches that don't lead you know to horrendous horrendous crimes as, as we're seeing in this case. Um, you know, but you do look at things like why does a coach need to have somebody over at their house? You know what I mean? It seems like it might be innocent, but if you want to have a group setting or you want to have an individual setting, why not meet at a restaurant? I mean, th- those are important things. The other things, and they're not even necessarily red flags as much as they are conversations with your kids. You know, I mean, I, I have nephews that are in high school. I have, you know, uh, friends who have kids who are growing up in sport and, you know, they ask me the same question and it's not so much, of course, it's having a keen eye. Of course, it's, you know, having those conversations with your kids, making sure that, 
you know, they understand, you know, what I would consider boundaries with coaches. You know, you want your kids to get the most out of their, you know, out of their coaches. You want them to be influenced by good men and women in their lives. Um, But what you want them to understand, especially in the teenage years, is just, you know, what are you talking about? Are you talking about, you know, what's going on on the ice or on the turf or on, on the field or on the baseball diamond? Or are you talking about greater things like, you know, relationships, whether that, that be with your friends, whether that be with your parents, whether that be with your, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend. Those kind of boundaries are important to instill in teenagers to know that, you know, look, this is not something that coaches need to know about you as an athlete. And so when you kind of have those conversations with your kids, it gives them a foundation to kind of have, first of all, it opens that communication with your, with your kids, but it also lets them kind of know, okay, well, they are identify, identifying red flags. Because the reality in all these situations is, and the number one question, you know, I get is, well, how, how is someone, you know, like a coach capable of doing this? How are they capable of convincing or manipulating, you know, as a better word, um, you know, these athletes into, you know, into these situations? And the reality is, is they're very intelligent at identifying those insecurities. You know, a lot of these, you know, there are some themes here. It's not 100% across the board, but, you know, some, you know, some athletes whose family situations might not be as stable or who might be going through a tough thing with, you know, with a girlfriend. These are the kind of situations that make teenagers vulnerable. And these are the kind of vulnerabilities that are identified by coaches. And so coaches who are looking to take advantage, not all coaches, obviously, but coaches who are looking to take advantage of these situations. So it's not so much you know, what, what are the red flags that you can just look at, right? I mean, okay, like, is he, is he being, you know, is he angry at my child? Well, yes, I think if you're a parent, you don't, you know, I think there's a certain line that a coach can cross when it comes to instruction and, and you know, tones in which they express their message, but it really is deeper. It's really deeper than just being able to be like, okay, don't take a ride home with your coach or, or don't be in a room with your coach by yourself. Cause I don't think that really is the answer. It's not, it's not something that isn't the positive for sure, but it really is get it really does get deeper with things where it starts with communication. It starts with understanding, you know, not you don't have to, you know, try to spoil sport by telling your kids right off the bat, these are the red flags, these are the these are the dangers. But the reality is is that if you don't have these conversations, your kid will be more susceptible to this if it comes across their path. We only got a couple of minutes left here, Jeff. Uh, We're speaking with Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press. But in your story, you reference how at Vincent Massey, he wanted to have like a Friday Night Lights style program, Friday Night Lights, uh, a book, a movie, and later a TV show about high school football in the United States and how big a deal it is down there. Uh, Does the fact that he was a successful coach uh, maybe could have played into how this uh, potentially went on for so long? Well, certainly. I mean, a lot of the times, you know, whether it's it it really does surround around power and influence and power and influence comes from winning programs, uh, you know, success on the field, on you know, on on the ice, you know, whatever respective sport you have, you know, gives you credibility. And, you know, to your point with about the, you know, the Friday Night Lights or the selling, you know, selling a program or selling a sport. I mean, that's kind of on the parents too, right? Everyone's excited. You're never going to talk to a teenager who isn't excited about, you know, their sport, who isn't excited about joining a program that has a, you know, a long history and, you know, of success and, and wants to be part of that. But you got to understand that, you know, it's not just about success on the field. It's success as a, you know, as a human. And a lot of those, you know, a lot of those programs offer that too, but you can't just get lost in that, you know, that idealistic 
um, idea that that this is kind of like bigger than everything, right? I mean, it, it, it can be fun, it can be important, but it really does need to be talked about in the respect that, okay, you know, this is a great program, but, you know, how, how, what are you doing outside of the glam and sizzle? And, and you know, again, I, you know, not every program is going to be sold like this one would have been at Churchill or, or later on at Vincent Massey, but there are a lot of reputable programs that offer a lot of those same things. I don't want to say that someone who wants to do more for their program is a red flag, but I think we do need to have a little bit of caution when we, you know, so we don't get too involved in this, where it's less about, you know, how big of the program is and, the, and, and, and more about, you know, how's my kid fitting in with this? How is, you know, what do you, what do you do for the, for the athlete? And so as much as power and influence will, will, will sway some of these, you know, some of these predators, really it does come down to the parents' responsibility and identifying, well, is this right for my child and, and is it the right program for our family? Jeff Hamilton, incredible journalism. Uh, Saturday's paper, track it down in physical form or go online at winnipegfreepress.com. You can sign in there and just give your email address and you'll be able to get access to this article. Jeff, thank you for your work and this continuing discussion. We'll have you back again uh, sooner than later. Thanks so much, guys, for having me on and have a great day. The headline, the Kelsey McKay playbook, winnipegfreepress.com. And by the way, anyone with information about sexual exploitation or sexual abuse in sport or who wishes to speak to an investigator can call the Sex Crimes Unit at 204-986-6245. That's 986-6245. Resources are also available through Police Victim Services at 204-986-6350. That's 986-6350. And the Clinic Sexual Assault Crisis Line at 204 786-8631. That's 786-8631.